Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. I used to think working from home was the dream, until it wasn't. Between the distractions and the solitude, I was struggling. But then I discovered Industrious Office, and honestly, it's been a game changer. Every day at Industrious feels like stepping into a zone of productivity. The high-speed internet never fails me during crucial moments, and the workspace? It's not only stylish, but designed to boost your focus and creativity. Plus, the daily breakfast and endless coffees are super cool. Meeting other driven professionals right where I work has not just expanded my network, it's inspired me. It's amazing how being around other focused people can push you to achieve more, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a sign to change your workspace, this is it. Check out Industrious by visiting biggerpockets.com industrious. Then click join now and use the promo code pockets to get a free week of co-working when you take a tour. That's biggerpockets.com industrious and use promo code pockets after clicking join now. Experience for yourself how the right environment can change the way you work. Industrious, it's where your best work happens. Hey everyone, welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer. Today, I am joined by Henry Washington and Kathy Fetke. Kathy, how are you? I'm wonderful, thanks. Good to see you guys. Thank you. Can you tell everyone where you're joining us from? I am in Salt Lake today, and then heading to Portugal the next day to look at property there. (laughs) Seriously? Yeah. Where in Portugal are you going? Uh, I will be going to the Lisbon area because there's some really exciting tax benefits there. And also you can get an EU passport if you if you invest. The golden visa, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know all about it. It's uh, very, very well known in the uh, American expat community, people living in, in Europe. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> nice. Well, have a great trip. Henry, what's new with you? Hey, what's up, bud? Good to be here. Thank you for joining us. You don't want to know what cool part of the world i'm in 
I recognize that background, but tell us all about <laughs> Northwest Arkansas. Uh, well, most people think it's kind of gray, like this background. But no, Northwest Arkansas is amazing. I love, I love it here. It's a fantastic market. I just give give you a hard time because I'm not in some super exotic location <laughs> like you guys. Nice. Well, I'm joining you from Chicago, sitting in the weirdest chair that I think I feel like it makes me look like I'm like a four year old. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> like the proportions. If you're watching this on YouTube, you are the little one at the table right now. <laughs> yeah, I, my feet are like dangling. <laughs> I was gonna say, are your feet swinging? <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching this on YouTube, I look like an absolute child. Uh, or not watching on YouTube, you can see it, but. Anyway, let's let's get into it. Today, we have a really great show. We're going to talk... First, we're going to do a news or noise segment because there has been some really interesting news that we're going to talk about. And then Kathy and Henry are going to share deals that they are working on or have been working on over the last couple of weeks because, as we all know, the market's changing really rapidly and it's super helpful to just hear from professionals like these two about what they're doing and what they're seeing in the market. And then at the end, we will answer some user questions that we pulled down from the Bigger Pockets forums. You guys ready? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Let's go into our news or noise section. The first thing that I want to talk about is the inflation report. If you did not hear, inflation came out the other day and the consumer price index dropped on a year-over-year basis from 9.1% down to 8.5%. And a lot of people are hailing this as potentially the peak of inflation. Other people believe this is just a whole, you know, really not significant. So Kathy, what's your read? Is this news or noise? I think it's news. I a lot of people are saying that inflation may have peaked in June, and if so, that would be wonderful. It's it's still high. It's still record high, but it's trending in the right place. Uh, a lot of that was with energy prices, um, and and what I'm hearing is that in in the fall we're going to get some really positive reports because we're looking at year over year and inflation started to tick up towards the end of last year so it's going to look a lot better in the fall and that could mean no more fed rate hikes and it also could mean the stock market could take off because it pays attention to these things so you know just just what some people are saying you know i love to bring you some Good, calm news. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Henry? What do you think? It's news. It's absolutely news. I mean, we were at record 9.1 is what it was before. Now we've come down. I mean, when you come down from a record high, even though you've come down to what would have been a record high before that, it's still good news, right? Like, th this is going to help. This is going to help people in the long run. It's giving people some hope. And even if it does go back up, I mean, we've got we've got ground to make up before it even hits where it used to be. So people should be excited. This is good news. I, I totally agree. I think that the trend has to reverse sometime. Hopefully this is it. And I think what you said, Henry, about hope is really important because so much like even though even if it peaked, like it's not like inflation is going away, it's still going to be with us for a little bit of time. But the uncertainty about like, is it just going to keep going up forever? Is it going to keep getting worse? I think is really hampering the economy because no one can make decisions when you're in this really uncertain period. And even 
I personally believe even if it's peaked, it's going to come down relatively slowly. Um, and, you know, over the next couple of months, like it's not going to start dropping really rapidly in my mind. But at least you know that it's starting to head in the right direction. And I think that's that's really encouraging. So this is one of the, the things I've been happiest to see in a while. It's good for people. It's good for the economy. It might it might stimulate some more spending. I think people have been hoarding their money a little bit and money's meant to be circulated, not hoarded. And so, you know, I think it's just it, it's good all the way around. All right. Well, Henry, what do you think about this? Some data came out from Redfin that showed that new listings, which had been going up for most of the year, just the amount of people who are listing their houses um, has been going up and we've seen inventory tick up. It's actually heading in the other direction now. New listings actually dropped by 12%. And so now we're seeing fewer people, even in this period of relatively low inventory. I said it's been going up, but in a historical context, still super low. This seems maybe the trend is sort of reversing. What do you make of new listings down 12%, Henry? Yeah, man, I've been I've been saying this for a couple of months now as interest rates have been rising. My general thoughts were that the market as interest rates are rising, there will be less buyers because there's fear and there's uh, people who just say, hey, I, I can't afford it at that interest rate because it's, it's kind of like sticker shock. Right. But we as a country haven't fixed the lack of supply problem that we have in most markets. And so. I think as interest rates went up and values were starting and people were afraid values were starting to come down, you were seeing more and more listings enter the market, but we still have way more demand than supply. And so I think that values were going to kind of get flat a little bit, maybe come down in some markets and then values were going to start rising again. And so I think we're starting to see some of that. People were listing their homes because I think there was some FOMO. There was some like, oh, I missed the peak. I need to hurry up and sell because I want to get top dollar. And, uh, um, I think it's a couple of things. People are realizing that there was probably less buyers and so they weren't getting, you know, people people felt like if I didn't get seven offers in the first, you know, 15 days, then then my, my house Why is trash. Why did you sell your house? Right. It's Why? not even worth it. Just a piece of garbage at this point. And so I think you saw some FOMO of people trying to list and hurry up and grab that top dollar. And uh, I think some of that FOMO is starting to wear off. I think people aren't seeing prices come down and they're starting to realize they haven't quite missed the boat. So um, yeah, I think you're seeing less listings. Yeah. Kathy, how about you? Is this news? Well, this is horrible news to all those people who are waiting for the market to crash and for the foreclosures to hit. All of you are going to just have to wait a little bit longer. This is a problem for buyers. This is a horrible problem uh, because homeowners, people who own property are not, they know they've got a valuable asset, right? And they're not just going to walk away from it and they're not going to put it on the market and wait two days to sell it. (laughs) They want want it to sell right away with a house full of people on the open house. So, uh, and what else are they going to find out there that would even make sense uh, with the payment they have and the price that they paid? They're going to be paying, basically, they're mortgage payment would probably double if they went somewhere else. So um, it's just more of a, it's compounding the problem of low inventory and it's really concerning for home buyers. It does mean again, that probably more people will be forced to rent for a while. Yeah. I think like you said, the people who are waiting for the market to crash, this is working against them. And I guess Mike, I'll, I'll ask you, I, I only had two news or noise questions, but now because this is very interesting, I'm curious. There's been this concept of like a soft landing in the economy for a long time now. Do you think between 
it, it, you know, inflation hopefully peaking and this data that's coming about the housing market, I can't speak for the rest of the market, but do you think housing might be heading towards that soft market where we are seeing some price declines in some markets, but like, are you feeling more and more confident that there won't be a significant decline? I think it just depends on the market. Like, you know, I, I'm going to be answering a lot of things with it depends because bubble, the, the places that generally go up 40% in a year or every year for a few years, they're probably going to feel it because they already got their price gains, you know, and, uh, but other areas like the beautiful Arkansas, uh, is it, they're not going to probably feel it, right? <laughs> um, these tertiary markets, the secondary markets, areas where there's lack of supply, um, are, you know, are going to have a soft landing probably no matter what. But, you know, multifamily, and I'll be talking about that later, there's some major hits um, coming. And so it, it all depends on the asset class and the area always. Well, that's a good plug because just before I got on this recording with you both, I recorded a bonus episode for On the Market where we talked about different markets, which markets are the highest risk of declining, which ones are at the least risk based on some of the the different uh, metrics Kathy was just saying. So if you are curious about your own market, you should definitely check out that show. It sort of teaches you a little bit on how to do this analysis for yourself. So check that out. All right. Well, with that, let's get into the deals you guys had. I'm very curious to hear about that. But first, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9 to 5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. I used to think working from home was the dream, until it wasn't. Between the distractions and the solitude, I was struggling. 
But then I discovered Industrious Office, and honestly, it's been a game changer. Every day at Industrious feels like stepping into a zone of productivity. The high-speed internet never fails me during crucial moments, and the workspace? It's not only stylish, but designed to boost your focus and creativity. Plus, the daily breakfast and endless coffees are super cool. Meeting other driven professionals right where I work has not just expanded my network, it's inspired me. It's amazing how being around other focused people can push you to achieve more, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a sign to change your workspace, this is it. Check out Industrious by visiting biggerpockets.com industrious. Then click join now and use the promo code pockets to get a free week of co-working when you take a tour. That's biggerpockets.com industrious and use promo code pockets after clicking join now. Experience for yourself how the right environment can change the way you work. Industrious. It's where your best work happens. Welcome back, everyone, to On the Market. We have Kathy and Henry here to tell us about the deals that they are working on. Kathy, let's start with you. You've been, sounds like, working on some multifamily deals. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I've... I represent the passive investor, I guess you could say, because um, it's hard to find deals in California. So many Californians just have to go elsewhere. And a lot of times that means more passive. And of course, there's people in California and everywhere, you know, that are in the tech industry and in the uh, entertainment industry and in sports, and they they just don't have time to, to do anything but invest and, and they've got the money to do it. So I, I'm, I'm kind of coming from that perspective. And I'm seeing over the years, and I know you guys have too, people just throwing money at syndications and at, um, at, at apartments that really turned out great for a lot of people. I mean, they, you know, wow, hit it out of the park. Um, but that, but it's really getting hit hard now. And, um, and so I get a lot of deals that come to me. And unfortunately, when, when you're a passive investor in these deals, sometimes people don't take the time to do the underwriting, but it, it needs to be done. You've really got to look at each deal. Um, even if you're passive, it's super important. Get yourself a, an underwriter. You can find them, you know, anywhere. So uh, just just to take a look. But um, a couple that have come to me recently are in the Houston area, and they're in the 70s vintage. So that's, you know, <laughs> that's getting old. <laughs> I hate to say it, but <laughs> because, you know, anyway, um, it, the 70s vintage is, is old for a building. And, and when the business plan is a five-year plan, it's going to be even older, <laughs> right? So, and um, Houston happens to be an area that can have, ups and downs. It can be a little more volatile than, again, a place like Arkansas, because uh, it, it's dependent on oil a lot of times. And, and um, you know, there's pockets with high crime. And let me tell you, if you buy an apartment in, in a high crime area thinking you're going to turn it quickly, I can give you some great stories <laughs> of my own experience where that didn't happen. Um, so this was a $52 million apartment. Um, the underwriting, in my opinion, was extremely aggressive. They hadn't repriced, so we're still talking about pricing from a few months ago when so many apartments are down by the millions, 10, 15, 20 million. It's got to be repriced by now. That concerns me. Can you can you just explain that just for our audience? I think a lot of people are not super familiar with multifamily. Can you just explain, one, what you mean by aggressive underwriting? And then I agree with you on the repricing thing, but could you talk to us a little bit more? Uh, aggressive underwriting would be making assumptions that things are going to go a certain direction in a really positive way and you're not going to make a mistake. <laughs> There's going to be no surprises, no issues, All no change. Rosy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything's Every going to go perfect. Every so you've got to stress test everything. And, um, you know, so with the repricing, of course, with 
uh, rates going up, that's going to influence the NOI, which is going to influence the price, and that's going to bring it down. So um, the higher interest rates generally means prices are coming down. I mean, that's one way to look at it. So if you, if you got into contract, go back and say, hey, I got to reprice this. That interest rates are up. And there's a good chance the seller will do that because they don't want to put it back on the market and get an even lower offer. So just do it. Save yourself a few million. Um, okay, so in this, the aggressive underwriting we saw was expenses were growing at just 2%. Now, in a newer building, maybe not on a 70s building. No, no, we had a, a, a gas pipe burst in our old building that I'll never buy again. And it went from 100% occupied to zero in about an hour. Wow. So listen, you know, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm telling from experience, there is truth. <laughs> There's truth <laughs> to wisdom with age, right? <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, and then the expense ratio needs to be around 43 to 50% on an older building. Theirs was under 40%. So again, just not anticipating that old stuff breaks, right? And then um, refi rate. Listen, we have no idea what rates are going to be. So you got to, if you're going to make assumptions, put a bunch in there. And in this case, when we put in a different number than what they had put in in their underwriting, it ended up being like a 0% return. So it matters. These numbers matter. And then the exit cap, way too low. This is the price you're going to sell the property for based on, on the cap rates of the area. Way, way, way too low for this vintage and this area where... Uh, where the, again, vacancy, they had at 2% and the area was 8%. So I think they have a lot of ideas that they're going to fix this up and make it great and it's going to rent. But when you're in an area that has 8% vacancy, you're swimming upstream. And, and also there was high crime in the area. And sure, people made this mistake in Chicago, where you are right now, Dave, uh, and thinking there, there's a new Obama library and a bunch of people bought properties around there because like, oh my gosh, all this money coming in here. But it was a very rough neighborhood. Uh, and, and they ended up, it, it got delayed by years and it took a long, it takes a long time to turn a, a neighborhood around. And, uh, so if, if, if something big is coming into town, that's wonderful, but just know it could take five or 10 years for that area to really transition the way you're thinking. And in this pro forma, they were thinking it would happen in, in year two. <laughs> so it's not, that's not happening. Was this an experienced operator? No. Okay. No, I, I, I think this is, that's the thing is you might look at it and go, oh my gosh, they've done so many good deals. I'm going to just jump in without looking at the underwriting. But, you know, it's been a bull market, right? It's been insane returns. You could buy, you could, you could have underwritten like this two years ago and still made millions of dollars, right? Right. But from luck, right? Like it's, it's from yeah, luck. it's not because like the operator was right. It's yeah. just like everything went up. and Everybody so, wins it, in a bull market. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love the lessons in that because the lessons in what you're saying really translate to all real estate. And so if you're somebody who is wanting to do real estate on a much smaller scale, these lessons still apply because as we go out and look at property, you're going to have sellers that give you assumptions on the rent you can get, assumptions on the after repair value of a property, assumptions on um, vacancy. You said it great, right? They had vacancy penciled in at 2%. Like 2% doesn't cover one month's mortgage if it's, if it's empty on a single family, right? Like So you have to know educate yourself enough to know what good conservative numbers for are in your market and run your analysis conservatively, no matter if the market's hot 
or cold. And especially if you're new, you want to be way more conservative on your analysis because if you're new, the chances of you making a mistake are much higher and you can't trust these people who are looking to sell an asset. A lot of the times they want to make their, especially if the person pitching you that asset is not involved with the day-to-day and really just makes a commission on the sale of it, right? Like, so you have to understand where your information is coming from and you have to do your own due diligence. So many new investors get burned because they buy something based on a, a, an opinion of value of somebody who is who's going to make a commission on the sale, right? You got to get your own opinion of value from somebody not involved in that deal. That's a great input. And I think it's super important to remember for everyone who is underwriting deals right now, where we are historically. Like if you look at vacancy, you're like, oh, vacancy is 3%. Like that will continue. Vacancy is at the lowest it's ever been. And so you sort of have to assume if you want to be conservative, that there's going to be some reversion back to normal levels um, in terms of vacancy, in terms of appreciation rates. Like I talked to, you know, looking in out of state buying and I talked to agents and they're like, yeah, this market's averaging, you know, 15% appreciation per year over the last 15, after the last five years. I'm like, yeah, because like it went up 40% last year and before the pandemic, (laughs) it was terrible. And that still comes out to 10% per year. You know, you have to really challenge what people are are thinking because this is, uh, we're in a market in transition and what was true now, you know, over the last couple of years may not be true in the very near future. When people give you uh, real estate data as a buying point, do you go, I don't know if you know who I am, but I'm the data <laughs> deli and I do this for a living. <laughs> I just, I nod, I nod and, and smile to people, but no, then I, then I go and find a real estate agent who, who like actually provides real and good information that I can't just look up on Redfin myself. So Kathy, I wanted to, I, First of all, I guess we, I don't know if we've established this, but you did not buy the seal. No, no. And it was really just investing in a syndication. So, um, you know, it's like a $50,000, you know, minimum investment. So it is something that, you know, a lot of people might go, oh, it's just 50,000, not just, but, you know, I'll put 50,000 if you're a professional ball player or whatever. Yeah, just throw it in there without really looking at at the numbers. So, you know, go online, find a good underwriter. If you're going to do syndications and it, you know, it's going to cost some money, but it's, it's like getting an inspection on a house. You know, you, you just need to do that. So worth it. So let me ask you, how much time did you put into this deal? Um, I have an underwriter, so 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But how much time did your underwriter put into it? And, oh. and was this one of many, or is this one that you were like seriously considering for a while? Oh, I, no, these, this is literally like, two deals from, two, it's almost identical, these two deals that came from different operators who are pretty experienced. Um, and, you know, I just, and I, I, man, I, I hope I'm not selling anyone down the river. It's just, it's just important to, before closing, to, to have a, you know, stress test everything because we are in changing times. And if you're in a short-term loan, which a lot of these apartments are in bridge debt, uh, you know, and, and this one didn't have a, an interest rate cap. So, that's terrifying. I, I would buy, I think, I think right now there's incredible opportunity coming in, in the apartment space. So it's a good time to learn it, you know, and, and, and know what to look for. Cause there will be opportunity. 
Great. Yeah. We, Kaylin and I, our producer, we're talking about doing a couple multifamily shows in the, in the near future. So stay tuned for that. Cause it would be definitely be, like you said, there's going to be good opportunities and, uh, for people looking to invest passively or become, uh, a sponsor themselves of deals, it could be a, an interesting time to get into that. All right. Any last thoughts, Henry or Kathy about Kathy's deal in Houston? Good job. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love that you brought a deal you didn't do. Honestly, I feel like so it it goes so often people highlight, you know, they did this amazing deal, but when you're looking at real estate, you lose, you know, you say no to more than you say yes to. And I'm saying no is a huge win. It's a huge yeah. win. Yeah. I wish I'd said no to a, a lot of things. <laughs> so, <laughs> I I uh yeah, I I I know what it's like to jump in and be positive and excited. And, and I, you know, optimism is a wonderful thing in life. Optimism isn't as great as an investor. So I know, I know that feeling of being so excited and just feeling like, you know what you're doing and then jumping into things and then going, uh Oh, um, this is hard. I I'm still dealing on uh, dealing with decisions I made 10 years ago, you know, and, and they stay with you for a long time. So, you know, just take some time before, before putting your money on the line to really make sure you understand. That's great advice. And our, our monthly reminder that if anyone wants to buy land in North Dakota <laughs> to reach out to Kathy, she's, got, she's got your got back if, yeah, if you want <laughs> that land in North Dakota. She's With your global warming, you're all going to be coming and trying to camp out on my little yeah. cool <laughs> spot. My, you know, it'll be, we'll be so... You should market it like Yellowstone. It'd probably sell yeah. like hotcakes. <laughs> Here's yeah, I'm gonna give little parcels for global warming. You will be cool here on this little piece of North Dakota. <laughs> yeah, if you wait if you wait long enough, it will be yeah. high, super high demand. Yeah, maybe even oceanfront. <laughs> oh God! Let's hope not. All right, Henry, what is going on in Northwest Arkansas? What what kind of deals are you doing right now? Well, much smaller scale than Ms. Fetke over there, that's for sure. You know, I'm 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 near your your friendly neighborhood hometown investor. So um yeah, so I thought this would be a good one to talk about because it is a deal that I purchased and I purchased it with a, a slightly different strategy in mind, uh, because the market was a little different. But um so the idea was I, I bought this single family home and it was a junker on the inside, like really, really, really bad. But when the market was was popping at its peak, we were able to just clean properties out. Right. And then list them on the open market and investors were coming in and buying stuff up because you couldn't lose, right? You could buy anything. And even if you weren't cash flowing month over month, you sit on it for a few months and it's worth like the values going up. And so, um, that strategy was working well for us. And, um, luckily I was smart enough to not budget my numbers when I was buying it. So to, to give some context, this is a small house. Uh, I paid, I paid 65 for it, right? ARV, ARV on a full rehab is two twenty five, um, but it needs a full rehab. Right? It, it's it it needs all the things, and so we were looking at buying it, cleaning it out, and then selling it, but for like a hundred and forty to somebody who wanted to come in and fix it up themselves and do the work because they still get a property under market value. Um, but what happened was. The market has been changing and less people are buying those less desirable properties um, because they don't they're a little more uncertain about 
values and rents and things like that. And so I, I was smart enough to know. So when, when people ask with the uncertain markets, are you changing your strategy? And I'm not changing my strategy. I am being more strict on my numbers. And so this person who I bought the house from, you know, negotiated with me. It was actually, she's literally a used car salesman. That's what she does for a living. <laughs> so, was that intimidating? It was. It was. She was, she was good. Those people know what they're doing. She was really good at it. And uh, she wanted uh, about 25 grand more than I was willing to pay her. And I came up maybe five grand to 65 and I wasn't going to budge even though I wasn't close to her number. Um, and the only reason I wasn't going to budge is because I was just more uncertain. And so I'm not changing my strategy. I'm just sticking to my numbers more because I'm not sure what the exit strategy is going to be. And I want to be able to have more than one exit strategy. And luckily in this case, that's what happened. So I did buy it for, well, she said no. She came back to me later and took my offer of 65. And then it took us a while to get to close. It took me a while to get to the project. And now the market has changed. And so I can't do that same strategy reasonably. And so now I have to go ahead and do the renovation. But I planned for that on the front side and I have the money to do the renovation. And so we're going to put about 60 to 70,000 in this thing and end up selling it for 225, um, maybe 230 because homes that are done are still selling great, right? There's still like the market is still great for those properties right now, but the homes that are less than done and are, and are not doing so well, there's not as many people wanting to snap those up like they were before. Cause they just felt like I can buy anything and not lose. And so all of that to say, like, you have to be strict on your numbers. It goes hand in hand with Kathy's. What Kathy was saying is you have to be strict on your numbers. You have to do your due diligence and you have to buy with more than one exit strategy in mind, especially when you're talking about single to small multifamily real estate, because the market is uncertain. It doesn't mean you shouldn't take action. It just means you need to give yourself an appropriate amount of cushion to be able to pivot and change directions. And if I would have paid what she wanted to pay, I would be in a position where I probably couldn't do the full renovation, um, which would limit what I'd make on the backside. Um, and so you've got to stick to your numbers. You have to understand, you have to become an expert in whatever market you're looking at investing in so that you can know what your number is and stick to it and not get emotionally tied to these deals. And that's really, really easy for somebody like, for instance, for me, like I, I would love to do a large multifamily deal and I could see really easily how I would get overly optimistic about the numbers and a about the potential for the future and about, you know, having that asset to build wealth for my family in the future. And you got to get, you got to untie your personal feelings from these deals and untie yourself from the, what, the, what could be on the back end, because what you have to focus on is what's right in front of me right now. And I want to make sure that I buy something at a price point where I know that I'm going to be able to have multiple exits in the event, the market pivots. Cause I've said it many times. If what I've learned in the past two years is that anything can happen and we can't predict it. So you have to make sure that you are an expert in your market and you stick to your numbers. Would, would you um, hold that if like keep it, would it make sense to keep and rent that? Yes, it would make sense to keep it and rent it. I, my personal strategy is um, I am selling singles and holding multis um, just because I like small multis and 
I am such a relentlessly consistent marketer. I've always got good leads on small multis coming and they just make more sense from a numbers perspective for me to hold those. And so I generate capital by selling the singles and then I keep all the multis to generate the wealth. Love that. Now that doesn't, somebody else, if you're just getting started and you find a deal like this and it's a single, you should totally hold it, right? Yeah. What I tell my students is if you are, if you are consistently marketing and you know that you're going to continue to get leads that are in your buy box that are more fit for you, then you let the, you let those go. You monetize them some other way and you buy the ones in your buy box. I think just like you said, people should do their due diligence. I think people should stick to their buy box. Yeah. The only reason I asked it is because if you did hold it for a year, obviously you, you get better taxes and then maybe interest rates will be lower. And, um, I, I'm just always curious why, why people sell when there, there's some pretty good lenders right now, portfolio lenders. We're starting a fund doing exactly what you just said, what exactly what you're doing in, in the Dallas area on one to four units and holding because of the great demand for rentals, but also because we want to hold till interest rates come down a little bit and, yep. and better tax benefits. So I, I, I'm always just curious, but you explained it. You, t- you take the profits and then you're putting it into something with higher cash flow. Yep, 100%. It's great advice. I, I think having multiple exit strategies is always good advice. And I think that's true, whether it's across strategies like you know, flipping, wholesaling, or holding on to something. And I think even within rental properties, having multiple strategies is a good idea. Like when I buy a single family, I want to be able to sell it to an investor who's going to knock it down and develop it and it has good zoning, or it has great curb appeal and a home buyer might buy it. Like these are sort of things you want to think about and not paging your whole self pigeonhole yourself. So there's only one type of person who might buy this property or only one profitable use of of this particular property. Um, That sounds like it's going to be a great deal, but just to help our audience understand the market, Henry, are you able to tell us a little bit about renovation costs and labor right now? Are you seeing anything change or is it stabilizing at all? Yeah, labor... Uh, labor's been pretty flat here over the past year. I have not paying more for labor now than I was about a year ago, but supplies are, um, are definitely rising. So the things I've seen the highest price lift on in renovations are windows. I mean, I'm paying two to three times what it would cost me for windows. Um, then it, then over, just don't put them in, just do the whole like, <laughs> yeah. cinder block, open cinder air, block, totally fine. No air, windows. <laughs> just paint, paint a pretty picture <laughs> of the outside. Um, windows, garage doors, especially non-standard windows and garage doors. Those are, you're seeing long lead times to getting them. And the price of them is just much more expensive than the standard and even the standard prices have gone up. Um, so those are kicking my butt right now. And then HVAC, we've seen a substantial increase in what it's costing me to install uh, HVAC in properties. It used to run me about four to four and f- between four and four and a half. So four, uh, 4,500 bucks uh, to do a new HVAC system in a house. It's running me 6,500 to seven grand now putting in HVACs in properties. And so those, uh, those bigger ticket items or those uh, doors and windows, uh, especially special order doors and windows, are costing quite a bit more. And so I've had to adjust. So I have a spreadsheet that just auto calculates um, 
based on what I'm going to do to the property. I've had to go back and readjust all my numbers in those because I was, I was estimating them so much lower than what it's costing me. So Henry, last question, and then we'll let you off the hook is you are, as you said, a relentless marketer. What's your feel for the market right now? Are you seeing better deals, more deals? What's happening? Yes, both. Oh, I'm cool. Seeing, yeah, <laughs> I'm seeing I'm seeing better deals, and I'm seeing more deals. And um, so I'm starting to get an increase. What's happening is like so. Marketing for deals is typically you have to reach out to a subset of people and try to get those people to get on the phone with you, whether you're sending them mail, cold calling, text messaging, whatever it is. The idea is let people know you're interested in buying and then try to get on the phone with them and work out a deal. And that's one level. The other level of marketing is put your fishing rod out there in as many places where people who are looking to sell will find you. And that where people were looking to sell, to sell at a discount, um, that river had kind of not dried up, but wasn't producing the fruit that it, it typically produced when the market was going crazy. And now there are more people who are out there looking for people like me to come and, and buy their property and help them out of a tough situation. And so I'm getting way more lead flow coming to me. I, I just bought a deal from somebody who found my website and I'm not even marketing my website. Like it's way down on the Google listings. <laughs> like, And somebody was like, hey, as many people as possible, can you come, you know, I need help out of this situation. And so um, we are finding that people, more people are looking to sell now who are in a tougher spot because you know tougher economic times um, means people need to get a hold of some money there's more tough situations and and uh, and there's also people who may have had a problem property who uh, who didn't try to sell it over the past year or like again in that like FOMO phase well let me hurry up and get rid of this thing while somebody will still want to buy it and I don't have to do anything to it and so, um, yeah, I'm getting a lot more lead flow from people looking for me. Um, plus my lead flow from the mail and the other strategies is still very consistent. I haven't seen a dip in deals. And as far as profitability, profitability is still good because although I may not be able to sell and get 13 offers over asking in the first 10 minutes when a property is on the market, I just listed two properties and uh, I had one of them gone in less than 18 hours. It was under contract for five grand over asking. And the other one, we listed it. And within 72 hours, we had four offers and we accepted one for 10 grand over asking. So um, there's still buyers out there. It takes a little bit longer. Um, you know, I didn't get nine offers and, you know, four of them sight unseen, waiving all contingencies and, and things like that. But I did get, it only takes one offer to sell a house, right? One good offer to sell a house. And we're, and we're seeing that. Uh, so no, it's, it's been great. All right. Well, glad to hear it. It sounds like, you know, the summary sort of from both of you is that there's more opportunity. There's like a lot more going on, but there's a little bit of, uh, Failure to realign expectations in some part <laughs> of uh, in some for some sellers or deal sponsors right now. So that means for our audience, you should be active and looking, but extra diligent about what deals that you're doing and making sure, as always, in any market, you should be really diligent before you make an investment. But um, it sounds like, you know, 
some people have not really adjusted to the new times. And as a listener to the show, hopefully you're staying on top of everything that's going on and you are adjusting to the new times and can make good decisions. You nailed it. I, I just think we're in a, it's an incredible opportunity because there's so much fear out there. People are so scared there's going to be a housing crash. And yet we, we have such really good mortgage rates again. Um, it's a, it's an amazing time. So don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Jump in and learn first and foremost. You won't be afraid when you, when you learn, the more you learn, the more confidence you'll have. Wealth is being transferred from the fearful to the fearless right now. And you've got to, you've got to get yourself in the game. That's a good quote. I think that's a quote. I think that's a quote. Did you just make that up? Uh, I I know it's a big transformation of wealth. Yes, I made up the fearless part. I like, that. but I know that wealth gets transferred from fearful people to the people who are ready to make to take to take action. Ooh, I like that. That's going on a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with that, that's, thank you both for sharing those deals. It's super helpful for me too, and uh, for everyone else out there listening. All right, let's move on to our user questions from the Bigger Pockets forums. But first, we're going to take a quick break. All right, for our user submitted questions this week, we have two. The first one comes from Gemma Jock. Jock, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. And the question is, hi there. I'm wondering if someone can help me. I sold a property recently and put the profits into a 1031 exchange. My goal was to buy three more cash flowing properties, but then last week I was let go from my job of 20 years. So the interest rates have gone up so much the properties don't cash flow anymore. I was going to take out the money and take the tax hit. I'm in California, so it's so much money. I only have a few more days to decide, but I was thinking about investing into a DST instead. Any thoughts on this? Would this be crazy in the current environment? Any advice appreciated? So first of all, Gemma, sorry to hear that you lost your job. That's very unfortunate. Hopefully uh, you can find something that satisfies you and is a better position for you in the future. Secondly, for anyone listening, if you haven't heard of a DST, this stands for Delaware Statutory Trust, and it is basically a way that you can invest passively, essentially in a syndication with 1031 money. So Gemma's basically asking and saying that she was going to, you know, buy more cash flow now because of her employment situation. She's having a hard time getting a loan, wondering if she should do a DST instead. Kathy, I know you have some experience with DSTs. I asked you before the show. So what are your thoughts on this? I, it may be her only option at this point is she can't get financing because with a 1031, you have to get the same amount of debt uh, of what you sold. And if she had debt on that, she's going to have to get debt again. That's going to be really hard without a job. Um, so that may be her only choice. A DST, Delaware Statutory Trust, is one of the only ways besides a TIC to go into kind of a group thing. Um, and that is totally passive. I think DSTs are great. They, they really serve a, a purpose. It's important to understand that the returns are pretty low on those. I mean, two, 3%. It's not going to be, it's not, it's not going to be a Henry deal. Like he just explained. <laughs> um, it, but it's a place to put your money while you're fig- figuring things out. Um, DSTs, I've looked at doing them. I'm like sponsoring them. And the only way that the sponsor makes money is fees. Um, that's the rules. So the fees can be pretty high on those. That's why the returns are pretty low. But again, 
DSTs are a great option. I always tell people, pick a DST as a backup in your 1031 so that if everything falls through, you have that. So it's kind of the, the fallback for, for most. But if there isn't financing, um, you know, if she doesn't, then if she doesn't have, what am I trying to say? If there wasn't debt on the, the property she sold, then it's, then there's lots more options. The other, the final option would be opportunity zone to maybe choose that because you don't have to take the full amount of the sale. You can just take a part of it and there's some good opportunity zones out there. That's great advice. And I actually, I did two DST investments earlier this year as the first time ever. I sold a property really at a good time um, and was looking very actively to find rental properties and just, it wasn't working. And as you probably know, I live in Europe, so it's not easy for me to go look at properties all the time. I do primarily passive investing in the first place these days. Um, And so I did it. And to your point, Kathy, the cash on cash returns are about high threes, low fours. Um, So it's not great compared to uh, even what I was making on the property I sold. But when you consider how much money you're saving in taxes, it's extremely good. And when I underwrote these deals, DSTs are meant to be tax shelters, basically, and they are underwritten very conservatively. At least that's that's what I saw, is that compared to what you were talking, Kathy, where they have these crazy, rosy assumptions, the DSTs I looked at were sort of the opposite. They were like very conservative. They're not promising you a lot, but there'll be some upside. But I liked it because I got to get into two two markets I was really interested in investing in and didn't have a team built out in. And so um, I'm a big advocate for it. I think it's great as long as you aren't really needing like a great cash on cash return. All right, Henry, I'm going to throw you the next question here, which comes to us from Faye Gao. The question is, which state city area should we put money in now? Just a simple question. So that's. <laughs> oh man <laughs> no no there, there's more context i'm just joking <laughs> okay so i'm currently an investor in chicago still a newbie owning two multi-unit properties i'm holding i'm looking to purchase my third long-term buy and hold property but i'm leaning towards looking for somewhere outside chicago where do you suggest that i look and how do you manage out-of-state properties there's so many unknowns to me so that is a huge question we could do multiple shows about just that question (laughs) but i'm curious for you if you let's just sort of like pare this down and ask the question this investor has two properties in chicago that sound like they're doing pretty well but is thinking about going out of state how would you approach that sort of uh that sort of question I think there's always a a decent market close to where you're currently living. Um, And so if you can look one to three hours away from your Chicago market, I bet you could find a market that you would have a general understanding of because you're pretty close where you can get good cash flow numbers. Um, And would you get as good a cash flow numbers as if you went someplace out of state that's got, you know, phenomenal cash flow numbers? Maybe not, but you would also be closer to your property and you would be able to uh, eat more easily, build a team, maybe manage it yourself or build a personal face-to-face relationship with the, with the team or the people that are going to be working there. Maybe you can get some personal references because it's close enough where people might understand who's operating in that area. And so there are a lot of benefits to you uh, 
um, looking closer to home than just jumping directly to out of state. Now, if I was going to look out of state, I would be looking for where is their market where if so, if you're a cash flow investor, you want to find a market where typically you're going to get the cash on cash return that you're seeking, while also it's got population growth over the last gosh, I'd look I'd look outside of five years, I'd look beyond five years, right? So you want to see someplace where people are continually moving here, and then where the economy isn't tied to just one industry, or tied to an industry that's going overseas or obsolete. So I would stay away from like certain manufacturing. Um, I would make sure that if it's technology, that it's not technology that where the, uh, where we're going to ship that the jobs in that industry overseas because it's cheaper. Um, and so I would look for medical medical, something that is a great industry. If there's great medical, uh, jobs in that area, that's a positive. I would look for um, kind of medical, you know, the, the, the fintech, right? So fintech, um, te- technology and medicine, uh, universities. Now, I do feel like universities aren't as uh, sought after, like university degrees aren't as sought after as they used to be, but definitely higher education still is a thing. And so there's, there's tons of, of jobs that require that level of higher education. So universities um, are great. I would also look at government jobs. Those are things that typically aren't going anywhere, right? Um, and so if that area has population growth, government jobs, medical jobs, and technology jobs, as well as the entry price is, you know, lower than where you are in Chicago, and you can get highest rents. Typically, if you've got those kinds of industry, and you've got people moving there, your rents are going to be fairly decent. So if you can get a lower entry price, but good rents and people want to live there, those are all indicators to me of a market that I would put to, I would like to invest in because typically in markets like that, you're going to get cash flow and appreciation. So um, those are the kind of indicators that I would be looking for in a market that I was going to invest in out of state. So I won't, I won't give you a specific market, but I'll tell you those are the indicators that you should be looking for. Dave, didn't you just put something together that might help somebody look yeah. at something like this? Yeah, it's good. They could look, but I wanted to hear from you. That was good advice. That's great advice. I think that it's really practical, especially about being able to build a relationship face-to-face. I think that's so important for, for building a team. Um, and yeah, my first question when I read this was like, why? Like, you, you, you know, you, you have properties in Chicago. They're good. Just keep doing that. Just learn right. the market really well and just do one market really well. Like that, unless you have a reason to, you know, unless you need cash and you're not getting it or you want to diversify into an appreciating market, like that's great. But like, I don't, I don't think you should just look out of state just cause like, Oh, on average, you know, Florida has a 9% cash on cash return in Illinois is seven. Like if you know your market better, you're going to find better deals in Illinois than you ever will. in Florida, just even that the average is higher. There's, there's such a smattering of cool cities in and around that Chicago area that are. I was just gonna that, say that. That there's tons of places you could you could invest where you could make an easy drive. I mean, you got Wisconsin, Indiana. You know, you got you know all those cool markets that are just a drive away where you can get great great numbers. 
Guys, I'm in Chicago right now, and there's also just great food here. You can oh, just get yeah. great. You can get great sandwiches, Chicago style hot dogs. It's great. I mean, I'm I'm having the time of my oh, life pizza. right now. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Everything that Henry just said could be found in Chicago in the Chicago area. <laughs> All of that. Sure, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> emerging suburbs of Chicago, or you know, within a few hours drive. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you both so much for being here today. We covered a lot of topics. This is a great, you know, synopsis of what's going on in the market and some advice. So thank you both. Henry, have a great weekend. Kathy, enjoy your trip to Portugal. Well, we'd love to hear. Shoot some footage for us. Do some property tours. Of oh, Portugal. I'm going we, to. We want to definitely... see what's going on over there. <laughs> I'm just mad that you're leaving when I'm coming to Amsterdam. That's just not fair. I know. Kathy is coming to Amsterdam two days after I'm in the U.S. I'm like always in Amsterdam. And one time I'm visiting the U.S., you come. But we're going to make it official one day. I'm going to say it publicly so that it happens, that we're going to film an episode in Amsterdam one day. Yes, we're going to do that. All right. Thank you, everyone. Again, if you want your questions featured on the market or you want to interact with any of us, go to biggerpockets.com. We have the On The Markets forums there, and we will answer your questions there. Thank you so much, and we will see you again next time. On The Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. And a very special thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show On The Market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire Bigger Pockets community, and there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as 3.5% down and own up to four units. So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units, but in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short-term rental or a medium-term rental. And all of this, what I'm describing here, is just one transaction. But of course, the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it? Optimize it. Keep scaling and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're going to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.